Hello and welcome back to another episode of Proudly Ordinary. I'm Smita, your host, and together we'll explore the lives of some special people who are ostensibly ordinary, but complete legends in reality. These are everyday people like you and me going about their business in their own way. Today, let's get to know Ashwin. Among his many achievements, the one we're both most proud of is staying married to me for 17 years. Ashwin is a gregarious being, drawing energy from sharing opinions. He was born to a banker dad who was meticulously detail-oriented and a homemaker mum whose culinary skills are worthy of legends. His sister was an academic genius. For the longest period, Ashwin's goal in life was to find out how long one could stay out playing before getting into trouble. Today, many years later, he's an adult, a husband, a dad, and his goals have evolved. He's now trying to find out how long he can keep his son out playing before they both get into trouble. Ashwin, thank you for being a part of my life and agreeing to share a little bit with all of us. Let's start with some of your most vivid recollections about growing up years and how they've shaped you into the person you are. What were your formative years like? Hey, Smita. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Though, I must say, it's a bit weird addressing you this formally. I was born into a conservative middle-class family, but I had the luxury of growing up in big cities, uh, Mumbai, Chennai, and the likes. That had a telling effect on my personality and perhaps where I get all my gregariousness, as you put it. I spent my childhood hanging out with people like me, but somewhere within me, I was always longing to hang out with the rich and the happy. And that left me with a very confused sense of identity. I oscillated between being confident half my time and timid the rest of the time. It's when I got to university, though, that I found out that I could channel all of that big city brashness and uh, I kind of rediscovered some of my mojo. Interesting. So you've always talked about how you were skinny, average at academics, not so well-to-do in a rich school and generally ignored until you suddenly became the sports champion. What were your sports? And what did you feel in that moment? That's a great question. Um, so growing up in the 80s and the 90s, typically in a middle-class setup in India, meant playing outdoors was really the only entertainment. Uh, as was to be expected for that time, we were all very big on cricket. I mean, we played cricket in every nook and cranny of uh, where we lived. Uh, I was surprisingly good at table tennis and basketball as well. In fact, it's still a mystery how I got to be good at basketball, considering I had not played it ever until I turned 15. All along, though, I was fairly athletic and I was a very competent sports person. And I won the odd medal for running or jumping. It was only in my final year at school that I ended up winning big, including what is called the Super Senior Championship. It was mostly running and jumping, but 
I did win the Super Senior Championship. I must say, though, that another friend of mine ran me very close to it. It was a tiebreaker that, that was decided on a sprint, and I got lucky with that. Um, my winning the championship was, I want to say, generally met with a sense of disbelief because I was never punching at that level uh, up until then. Uh, but as the dust settled, I did get a bit more of attention. Uh, I think some of it is also to do with me discovering my own uh, confidence. Of course, it's another matter that soon after that, we wrote our board exams and I went back to being a nobody. <laughs> That's another interesting thing that all your friends recollect about you is how you would eat butter biscuits or butter shortbreads to try and put on some weight in your school days. While you had no success gaining weight then, losing it now has been a constant battle. What is your relationship with food like? Hmm, you've now touched the raw nerve, a, a topic that has uh, generally been met with angst. So I was spoiled uh, with, with rich food from very, very early on. As you mentioned in your introduction, my mom had God skills when it came to uh, cooking. So there would be rich food, albeit homemade, but no rhyme or reason. And then as I grew older and I started to go out by myself, I was introduced to the amazing world of burgers and Navratan Kurma and pastries with nuts. Uh, ever since then, there's been no looking back. And I, I still till date count gluttony as my only vice. Well, I'll hold opinion on that. But, you know, my relationship with weight has always been bittersweet. Up until I was 20, I was read thin no matter what I ate. It was a source of angst. And in school and early college, I can safely say I was never on the invite list when the ladies had a party. As, as I progressed through college and later on into my working life, I had access to more food and less activity. And I went straight from skinny to shapeless in no time. Um, in the last couple of decades, we've both been battling the adipose war and I want to say I've been losing more than I win. We win some, we lose some. Anyway, you've always been someone who's supremely confident in his abilities and unafraid to ask for your opportunities. Where does this sense of confidence come from? Hmm. Honest to God, I did not start out being like this. Um, my parents tell me that I was always good with words, had a sense of humor, was affable, even as a toddler. But as I reached middle school and I started to become more like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I would be exuberant when I was in the midst of friends and younger kids, but I would be timid and tongue-tied uh, when I was with the hep and posh kids in the school. I think my metamorphosis really started when I got to university where I started channeling all my sort of big city brashness. Um, I was into oratory and public speaking and a lot of other literary activities that helped me in a big way. And I, I was able to project that confidence ever since. You asked me a question about opportunities. I, I think I was, I, I didn't have it very easy uh, for the best part, but I, figured that 
not asking for an opportunity or not putting your hands up is even more detrimental than uh, trying and failing. So I just, I just take my chances these days. Hmm. Do you ever look at less exuberant people around you, maybe at home, and wonder why they don't take their chances the same way as you do? Hmm. Why do I know the origin of this question? So, as I grow in my role as both husband and father, I'm learning to temper that sentiment. But you are spot on. I do get annoyed when very talented people don't take their chances, largely because demons in their own head. I made several mistakes while growing up, and not latching onto my chances cost me big time. So I want my family to hopefully learn from that, take their chances, and I want to reassure them that uh, failure is collective. We will be in this together. But take a chance, take that first step, and we'll sail through this together. Yeah, yeah. All right, wise old man. Um, together we've moved several times. Every year we seem to find a new way to disrupt our lives. Why do you think we do that? Hmm. Can I be cheeky and say that we're just restless people looking for some excitement every now and then, and this is our way to find excitement? But on a more serious note, I think this phenomenon has been more prevalent only in the last 10 odd years. Uh, because we keep looking at our lives vis-a-vis -vis some of our friends and family, and we keep chasing this mythical target. And... I think it's starting to dawn upon me that the more we chase this mythical target, the more it eludes us. So hopefully over the next few years, all of this will come to a standstill. Well, I'm not holding my breath on that. We moved to UK among some testing circumstances, I'd say. You were just recovering from a mystery illness. Your mum hadn't fully recovered from her knee replacement. Um, I had turned down a somewhat lucrative job offer and was going to move unemployed. Let's say there were some dark clouds looming. What gave you the strength to get past that period? So first of all, just for the record, uh, my lovely listeners, that mystery illness was not all that of a mystery. It was just some sort of a uh, acute infection that impacted my brain. So don't get all the wrong ideas. Yes, what I could not do in so many years, some virus managed very quickly. Mm, yes, uh, but you know it's a it's a it's a deep question, and it's a question that I want to be very honest about, right? I don't think I had the 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 strength to deal with it as well as I would have liked to. I think it was mostly you, your mental strength and resilience. And I think the sheer tenacity you had to try and give Adve a better upbringing. Because the first five years of his life, he literally grew up in, in the arms of nannies and grandparents. So I think that is what helped us sail through those rough eight or ten months. If you ask me, I consider that the lowest point in our lives together. And, and God knows I've considered abandoning the UK plan and heading back to India many times in the first six months of moving. Well, however, that phase did teach us to live well within our means. 
And now you've converted me into a monk who can live in a suitcase. Well, I can testify you're neither a monk and nor do you live in a suitcase, but that was very touching. Um, you're your little son's hero when the two of you aren't fighting over the next silly thing. How has being a father changed you? My equation with Adve has always evolved. Uh, and I'm, I've gone from being like this extremely smothering dad to watching from a distance. My style of parenting has also oscillated being between uber affectionate to the extent that some would say I would molly coddle him. And then there's the other extreme where I would bring out the tough dad act. Um, as I think about it, I think I sometimes treat Adve like I treat grown-ups at work and I fail to grasp that he's 11-year-old dealing with his own insecurities and frailties. In all of this though, the one real positive is that my entire life's perspective and priorities now revolves around the family, the three of us and our extended family and everything else has started to pale in comparison. You've now started on an MBA. What does your routine look like? Do you sometimes think you're going mental? Hmm. That is the one topic that uh, gets the heebie-jeebies out. So my routine was fairly packed even before starting university. Uh, I'd say thanks to a hyperactive 11-year-old. It And it gets borderline crazy in the cricket season, even without having to spend countless hours researching pinpoint subjects and citing references in some archaic 1920s format. So this will be the first year I balance home, work in university. And I don't know if I'm looking forward to that. You know, if I had to do one of those LinkedIn-like intros, I would perhaps introduce myself as full-time cabbie, part-time student, and reluctant corporate professional. What's it been like working as a cricket team manager with kids? What motivates you to do it, given you've got quite a packed schedule already? Yeah, so playing cricket is a bit of an unrequited dream for me, right? I would have so much liked to progress in my own cricketing journey. So I'm now trying to realize that through the kids I uh, kind of hang out with. There's also something very fulfilling about working with young kids and helping them get a, get better at sport. You know, there's something I take away each time we hang out, mostly the unbridled joy for the game, or even finding humor in, in the darndest of situations. I mean, we would have lost by a million runs and the kids would have absolutely no concern and, and would be merrily playing about. But, you know, if I'm, Truly honest, I signed up for this uh, mostly to watch Adve play from close quarters. That kid is committed to the game and his commitment uh, has incentivized me to invest a little bit of my time uh, into his cricket and therefore as a natural extension managing his cohort. And we've had a long run together and our fair share of good years and bad. What do you value the most in our relationship? Again, another deep one. Again, another question that requires some reflection. I do agree. We've had some 
nasty ones along the way. Uh, but I want to believe it's been more good than bad. I mean, even the not so happy years had a generous sprinkling of happy moments. What I yeah. cherish the most, I think, is the unshakable trust we have in each other. We have never had to second guess each other's intentions. Another thing that I'm most proud about is our decision making has always been congruent to our collective goals. There are no superstars or alphas in our household and all decisions are by consensus. Adve is turning out to be a well-rounded young man and I think our commitment to raise a good human being is starting to pay dividends. And therefore, I would like for the next phase of our lives together to have a bit more of you and me time and explore our collective couple goals. Cheers to that. Do you ever look back at your life and feel like it would have been nice to shape it differently? What decisions are you proudest of making? So there are moments of despair and looking back at that rearview mirror. I would say most of them are linked back to how I perhaps squandered away some of my gifts in my early years. But you know, having said that, there has been an amazing stability in my life for the last two decades. I wonder who I met back then. Oh well, must have been an angel. <laughs> yes, as angels come. The decision I'm proudest of making, I think, is that all decisions in our household is collective. That was a very conscious decision that all three of us made. Everything from where we ordered desert over the weekend to moving countries and starting life all over again has always been a collective decision. And I think that has served us very well. Do you know what decision is not collective? Which part of the sofa you will sit on every day? But Yeah, who's, who's the one with the bad back? <laughs> now, let's have some fun. That's been quite a deep conversation. Um, what's the best holiday you've taken? So I uh, have very fond memories of the Pondicherry trip you and I did in 2011. It was, uh, it was the funnest time of our lives. We did a lot of really, really cool things together. Uh, and then after Adve arrived, I think the one we did in Dubai last year, that was bang on target. I mean, I think it had a wide variety of of uh, things we did and it was all super fun. I, I must say, all of this happens only because you've got extremely good organizational skills. Oh, well. Keep those praises coming. What's your favorite food? Ha! I knew this was going to come. I don't really have a favorite food. I have a favorite cuisine. Give me vegetarian rich Indian food and I'm happy. That could be anything from a Navratan kurma to a Malai kofta to, uh, you know, paneer butter masala. You name it and I would like it. <laughs> um, what item of clothing do you shop for most often? Oh, I know exactly why you're asking me this question and I'm going to sidestep that. So, I think at the moment, we spend all our money buying cricket underwear for Adve because he, he goes through them so quickly. Yeah, that's true as well. Um, what's your favorite sport? You know, at the moment, I'm probably going to say tennis because I can play 
uh, an entire hour or maybe even two without having to be carried back on a stretcher. But it was cricket growing up. Um, who's your favorite celebrity? That's an interesting one. I don't think I have a favorite celebrity. I have a favorite hybrid celebrity. I'd like to sort of clone Rahul Dravid, Amir Khan and Warren Buffet and somehow make like a uber celebrity. That would be my favorite celebrity. Hmm. Asking for too much. What's the maximum amount of ice cream you've eaten in one sitting? Oh, a lot. A lot more than I can admit on a podcast. Go on. You're quite a pro at embarrassing yourself. Oh, just a lot. You can you can run your imagination <laughs> wild. Okay. Here's the trick question now. Who's your favorite podcaster? And here's a trick answer. The only one I listen to. Well answered. Uh, it's been awesome chatting with you like this and bringing our story to the world. Uh, we even got through it without fighting. Did you enjoy doing this? Oh, I certainly enjoyed this. This podcast has allowed me to reflect on some of the most mundane aspects of life, but also some of the most sort of, uh, you know, life-changing aspects of life. So I'm surprised by some of my answers, but there it is. All right. So the final question, what makes you ordinary? Oh, another deep one to end it. Um, you know, there's this Hindi song, Thoda Hai, Thode Ki Zarurat Hai, which roughly translates to, we've got a little this, and we yearn for a little more. That's pretty much the mantra of our life at the moment. And I think embracing that, is what makes me yet another person with hopes, with dreams, with ambitions for the future, but while being extremely grateful for what we already have. So I think just that is what makes me ordinary. All right. Now we have it all on record. I must warn you, everything you have said can and will be used against you in the next argument. But thank you so much for doing this. I really enjoyed it. And I hope all of you enjoyed meeting Ashwin as well. Next time, we'll have a nice little chat with Adwe, our 11-year-old hero. Stay tuned and let me know what you thought of this episode. Bye-bye. <laughs>